and it's good stuff. This is a well-known story. It's a terrific story. I love it. Daniel 3 and then Shabu's going to come and speak to us. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials in the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, carp, uh, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats and their other garments and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to the councillors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not heard, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted... Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Thanks, John. Well, good morning, church. Let me uh, begin by praying. Father God, we want to thank you for the privilege to hear your word. We thank you that even in that big reading that your spirit is already speaking to us and to our hearts. Lord, I pray now that you would continue to drown out the noises in our hearts and minds and help us to focus on you and what you're saying to us as a people. Let the words of my mouth and my meditations of my heart be acceptable to you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in your name. Amen. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. I know that's a, it's a fairly big chunk uh, to listen to uh, during a service. The reason for that is to uh, two things. One is to set a foundation for you to give you the big picture of the whole story that we're looking at this morning, but also for us to continue to grow as a church to appreciate God's Word because we believe God's Word is alive. It's not just some sort of random texts and things in there, but the Spirit of God makes it come alive. And I pray even now, as you are listening or reading and following it on your phones or whatever way you are reading it, engaging with it, that the Spirit of God was speaking to you. Uh, last week we uh, looked at the lives of four guys who had been brought into exile. Uh, and, and these four guys, one of the main leaders was by the, a guy by the name of Daniel. Uh, last week we were introduced to them and uh, along with those guys were these three main characters for this particular story. It's a very famous story, particularly if you've grown up in the church and uh, particularly if you've grown up in Sunday school, there's probably some picture somewhere in your mind of an image of three guys in the fire and then there's a fourth person there. And last week we, we talked about as well about what does it mean to live a life of resolve, uh, not just sort of legalistic kind of set of rules, but talking about what's in our heart, what's going on in our heart to put God first in our lives. And in light of that, to live lives not uh, just in our own strength, but empowered by the Spirit because we're on the, this, this side of the cross but to live as exiles because this is not our home. But to live as exiles 
in a very uh, non-Christ world to live for God. And this passage has now come up to this very big section. It's a very famous story. What's, what's happened between now, uh, what's happened between last time and this time is that right in the middle of chapter 2, there's been a big dream that's going on. The dream is King Nebuchadnezzar, or Neb to his mates, uh, has, has dreamt something. It's so powerful, so strong, that he's alarmed by it, that he wants it to be interpreted. None of the guys of that kingdom can interpret it. So uh, he hears about this guy called Daniel. Daniel comes and interprets a dream, but doesn't take the glory for himself. But he points it back to God and says, God is the one who's given me this dream. You can actually read about it in Daniel chapter 2. But in one of the most amazing verses in Daniel 2 is when the king himself says, it's up here on the screen, says, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Now that's a pretty big statement for a king who has, if you want to use our term, a non-Christian king. That he himself all of a sudden realizes your God is the God of God and the Lord of kings. So uh, Daniel uh, actually makes a negotiation plan with him and says, well, okay, you're going to put me in charge of some things. I want you to also put in charge my mates, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Appoint them as rulers in charge of Babylon, the affairs of the province. So these three men are placed in a fairly significant responsibility. They're in a public space. People can see uh, these men. They can see what they're doing. Not only that, they're Jews, so they're actually going to stick out quite a bit. So this is the scene, this is the background to where we come up to Daniel chapter 3. So I've got a couple of questions for you. First question, what is one of the most amazing man-made things that you've ever seen? Second question, what is probably uh, one of the most most amazing events that you've been in where you've been part of the crowd but you Uh, feel like you have to be involved in it. And if you don't, you will stick out like a sore thumb, as the term goes. Probably one of the most amazing things I've ever seen that's man-made is the Taj Mahal in India. I remember to this day when I uh, went to that city and when I first walked through the wooden doors, I'd seen photos, I'd seen videos, uh, you know, I've seen documentaries on it, but there's something different about when you see it for the first time with your own eyes and you're actually in awe. You're like, whoa, that's amazing, that's beautiful. Another uh, story is probably the second thing that created such amazing emotion for me was, uh, and I couldn't but help be involved in it, was in 1995 when I went to the MCG. I was in my last year at VCE, and uh, a friend of mine took me to watch the Victorian uh, football team, the Vicks versus South Australia. And it wasn't the game. The game was a write-off, the Vicks won. But it was the, what happened before the game. A guy by the name of E.J. Witten, with his son, was in the car, drove onto the field, and they went around the field. And it was, he was diagnosed with cancer. He was most probably going to die. And actually ended up being one of his most last uh, famous uh, events, that he, public events that he was involved in. But there was this moment where the whole MCG is packed you're all sitting there and everyone is involved. As soon as he comes on, everyone is moved with motion. Everyone is involved in cheering. And I know if I just sat there with my arms folded, I'd probably stick out a little bit. Everyone's involved. All the emotions are there. 
Now, of course, I'm talking about something that's quite trivial in some sense. What we've given here in the first few verses, particularly verses 1 to 7, is to draw a really big picture. One, to draw a big picture. To show the authority, the might, the power of the king of Babylon. It's to make uh, the readers or the hearers to go, whoa, this guy is pretty powerful. I don't know if I want to mess with him. This statue that he uh, got created, this idol that stood 90 feet long or 90 feet tall, that's how big it was. Nowadays, well, there's a picture of a, of a, a statue in America. It's the uh, Virgin Mary. Uh, that's how big that is. That's 90 feet, that actual particular statue. So we're not talking about a little idol thing. It's, it's fairly significant. It's where they put it in the plains. It was a, a center of attention. Now, not only that, it's overlaid with gold. So when the sun shines on it, it f- reflects. So it's, it's to give a sense of awe and wonder and might and power. And the second thing is that picture that's drawn of uh, everyone came. John mentioned all those names and those titles Uh, Everybody is invited to this. But it is also to show that they must come and bow. If they don't, they will face death. It's to give a picture of awe and sense of power and authority and to make the hearer, also those seeing that image, to shake in their boots. Now imagine saying no to all of that. You're going to stick out like a sore thumb. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a sporting event. Uh, and the sporting event, usually like the MCG or something, and you know when the crowd starts to wave? And so the crowd starts to wave. Some, one section starts. And back in the day, it was Bay 13. I don't know if you guys remember that. So everyone's watching. They start. And it goes around. And as it goes around, and usually the members area, no one's doing the wave. And what happens? The whole crowd goes, boo! Now being... Being the only person in that member's stage, you would stick out, right? You would feel like, oh, I better join the crowd. Everyone's doing the wave. Now, I'm throwing sort of illustrations to make a point. Hopefully it makes sense. But the thing is, in this situation, the story, the word has gotten out. The king has made this uh, ad idol, this statue. So he's invited everyone. The VIP guest list has been handed out. Everyone's there. Barack Obama, everyone. Tony Abbott, the whole of the rulers of the nations of the known world are there. They've come to see. And they've been told. As soon as you hear all the instruments, as soon as you see the band playing, every single band, the top ten bands, they're all there, ready to go. As soon as you hear it all, bow. You need to bow. And if you don't, well, you've got a fiery death ahead of you. There used to be this thing uh, in that time. It was like an old-school sort of milk-shaped bottle, glass bottle. It's coming out back in in fashion in a lot of cafes. You'll see it, you know, a little glass bottle, milk bottle. It was about that. It was much bigger to be able to create things like the idol. But if you can imagine, this thing would uh, be so fired up, it would reach to a 1,000 degrees in regards to the heat. So it's pretty hot. Can you imagine thrown into that? So the king has shown his authority. He said, this is what happens if you don't. And there's a sense for the crowd to fear this king. Look how powerful he is. Look how mighty he is. And the question is, well, what would you do? 
in that situation. So the stage is set. And along comes these bad guys. I call the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans in Bible history in the Old Testament, they hated the Jews. There was this constant thing that they didn't like about the Jews. So they come and they want to make a point to this king. This king who has actually, in his own authority, in his own power, placed these Jewish men, these, these slaves, uh, as rulers and authorities. They're coming back to sort of say, look, you, these upstarts, these young fellas that you put up as governors, look what they're doing. Have you heard? This is what you've done. It's creating the king a sense of fear. It's to create a sense of Oh, what if others catch on to this idea of not bowing down? Oh, then I will have some sort of civil riot. It's to show that the king's authority is being questioned. And in verse 13, we have the king's reaction. He's raging mad. His wrath and anger and jealousy is stirred up. So he gathers Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and he questions them. And verses 17 and 18, in my opinion, I reckon is one of the best interactions there are in the, in the Bible. In verse 17 to 18, Nebuchadnezzar turns around and says to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and says, Listen, I hear that you guys uh, are not serving my gods. Not only that, you're not worshipping them. And not only that, you're not going to bow down to my image. Or you haven't bowed down to my image. And he gives them a chance. Now, if you're ready, when the band plays, when all the instruments play, you know what you need to do. Now, notice what he says. He doesn't say bow down. He actually says worship. You need to bow down and worship. Worship this idol. If you worship this image, this is going to go good for you. But if you don't, guys, if you don't, guess what's ahead of you? See that fiery furnace as you walk past. And this is the question. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? The line is drawn. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say these famous words. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now imagine being in this courtroom, in this, the king's there and there's all his glory, all his officials are around. And these three upstarts, young guys, Jewish guys who are slaves in exile, turn around and say that to him. Can you feel the tension in the room? It's in many ways, it's like these guys are eyeballing this king. And he's saying, listen, um, yeah, you think you've got the authority, but in reality, we know who can actually deliver us. It is the same God who brought us here who permitted for us to come into exile. He's the same one who can actually deliver us physically from the fire. But even if he doesn't, and even if we die, we want you to know, Nebuchadnezzar, and everyone else listening in, we will not bow down because we serve our God. And it's all driven out of their relationship with him. They realize they don't serve this golden image. They serve God. 
You've got to ask the question, what's driving these men to be willing to stand up against and not to just go along with the crowd? I mean, their life is at stake. Everyone else is doing it, so what's the big deal? You know, just sort of not to rock the boat. Last week we talked about how Daniel talked about him resolving in his heart not to defile himself. Because it wasn't driven out of a legalistic list of rules, it was driven out of his relationship with God. He knew, he knew that if he did that, it would actually affect his relationship with God. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're part of a nation of Israel. And God had given them a set of rules and covenants to follow. These are agreements with God to say, if you follow these things, if you obey these things, they will actually go good for you. And God's giving them these things, not because he's trying to be an annoying God, but he's a loving father saying, this is good for you. You've got to trust me. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego most probably were thinking in a passage, it's a well-known passage, I'm sure you read it all the time in your quiet times from the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. It says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven, above, or that is on earth, beneath, or that is in the water, under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity or the sins of, of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But, showing steadfast love, his never-ending, always continuous pursuing love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they know who they are. They are God followers. They, they follow God first. And these men are in the public spotlight. They're governors, they're rulers. People are watching their Instagram feed, their Twitter feed, their Facebook. They're listening to what they're saying, what they're putting up on their status updates. They're under authority, but also they have a lot of authority. But they also know who has the true authority. They know that they are worshippers of God. They also know why they've come into this situation. They know why as a nation they've come into Babylon. Because that's exactly what happened. They started worshipping other gods. They started adding new sort of religions in and part of their religion. And God's uh, command was disobeyed. And that's the consequence. So they know what's going on. In a public display, in a very public display, they're willing to risk it all, including their lives. A few months ago, we saw those uh, amazing, powerful, challenging, gut-wrenching images of those uh, Coptic Christians, Egyptian Christians, who were martyred for their faith on the beaches. Now, I don't know if you saw that they were actually mouthing something in the video, if you ever saw those sort of images. What they were mouthing was, Lord Jesus Christ. And their story goes back to uh, the village that they were, most of those guys were from and they were interviewing some of the, the priests there and the, uh, the elderly people there and they said, we rejoice because they could not edit that out. They couldn't edit out these men for the final time saying, Lord Jesus Christ. That's a powerful image. They're facing death, but they know who they serve. See, I think those men knew... Uh, their God, 
Her view of God was powerful and amazing. I think in this moment, these three men are realizing, yep, big statue, amazing, powerful, all the instruments are playing, all the leaders are here, but guess what? My God is bigger than that. My God is everywhere. And he, they knew where power and authority lay. Not with this king who said, well, I can actually free you. They knew where it lay. So they're willing to die. They actually, in many ways, are surrendering their life to God and leaving God's will in there, leaving God to decide what happens to them. Now, this king is a contrast to these three guys because just remember in chapter 2, they, he witnessed this powerful reality of this interpretation of the dream and, and now all of a sudden there's this other situation and, and he's forgotten because he's so caught up in himself. What's going on? And you, you read the story from the book of Daniel. This king and predominantly a lot of the kings in Babylon, they have this huge sense of pride. And pride is a, it's an amazing thing. Pride actually blinds you, completely blinds you. And this is what's going on with this king. He's completely blind in his heart. And these three men stick their necks out. Now, I'm sure um, last time I checked, when I went into the city in Melbourne, there's no sort of big statue in the, in, at Federation Square. And if there was a big statue of our prime minister or the uh, the prime uh, or the state premier, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't last very long here in Melbourne. I've just got a hunch, because in our Aussie culture we don't stand for those kind of things. And sure, we don't have those kind of images, but I know there are countries that you can go to. You can go to my friends who are Buddhists, and you go across and you see the idols, you see the statues, they worship it. I've been to India and you've seen the temples filled with these amazing uh, idols, and they worship, and that's quite normal. But in our day and age, it's not really as much. I mean, you can drive up to the basin and you can see the Hindu temple there. So what's some of the things in our world? I've been really sort of trying to wrestle with this and going, well, there's obviously the obvious things. And what's going on here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been challenged to say, listen, just give in. Just give in to what the culture is saying. Just give in to what I'm telling you. If you don't, if you don't bow to this, you will lose your life. And in our day and age, there are other things. There are things, sure, we don't have an idol, but there are things in our culture that are saying, listen, just bow to this. Everyone else is bowing to it. I don't see why you don't. So on the view of marriage, on the view of uh, uh, abortion, and the view of how there's this constant challenge to sort of say, hey, listen, just, just bow. Just bow to the culture. And as Christians in those moments, we're actually called to say, no, we bow to God. What God says, what His Word says, what is on His heart. We're under His authority. But see, there's also a deeper thing that's going on. Remember how last week I talked about the, the heart? That God is after the heart? See, we're all tempted to bow to things. We're all tempted to bow to things in our culture, in our lives. It's ultimately sort of saying, come and worship. Worship this. 
One of my uh, favorite pastors that I love listening to uh, and I love reading his book is a guy by the name of Tim Keller. And uh, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he's got this really helpful definition of what an idol is. What is something that you worship? The question is, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning, then I'll know I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. That's a great definition of an idol. And and in our day and culture, it's sort of like saying, when good things, things that are blessings, turn into God things, things that are become worship. So, for example, in our day and age, particularly in, West, in Western society, in, in Australia, the, this whole idea of work, and it is good for us to work, but when your work drives your joy, when you are most satisfied in that more than God, in, in the sense that it takes you away from your time of worship of God, worship, hanging out with your family, in some sense you're controlled by that. In times when family becomes something that you worship more than worshiping God. That, that the, the idea of family is above God. Even though you might not say it out loud, but in your heart you know that. You're going well when the family's going well. You're struggling when the family's going bad. And your identity's caught up in it. What about security? I'm in this stage of life where uh, you know, friends of mine are buying homes and stuff, and I've got to be honest with you, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should buy a home. And if you bought a home, that's great. You should. You should consider those things. But in the moment I've realized is when I'm finding my security in it. Somehow if I have that, then I'm someone. And that's when this good thing becomes a bad thing because it becomes an idol. It's calling for my affections. What about even in our day and age? I know when I went to uni and worked in uni ministry, the amount of students had these pressure on from their parents. That study somehow defines them. And they're ruled by it. To the point that if I get a really good mark, I'm somebody. If I get a really bad mark, I've failed. Well, actually, you didn't fail. You passed. A P is still a good mark. And I'm not talking about slacking off. You need to do the best that you can under God's hand. But what I'm saying is when these things start grabbing your affection, you know what? Pastors are not... (laughs) <laughs> are immune to this. Do you know one of the, uh, the, the days that are most voted as when the pastor quits? Can you guess? It's on a Monday. Because Sunday becomes their stage in where they find their identity and they are validated on a Sunday. They see the people, see if the, you know, it's been filled today. Is there a lot of people today? Is people really worshipping, closing their hands, uh, or raising their hands? You know, is, is the kids involved? Is it, you know, am I talking to people? Up? Like these things start driving a pastor's heart, and it's a good thing to serve God. And then what happens is that it becomes an idol, and, and a pastor finds their identity in it, and then God is somewhere on the side here. And then when that falls apart, the pastor falls apart, and hands in the resignation on Monday. Friends, we're all prone to this. This is our default heart. It happened in the garden when we said no to God and said, 
I will be God. I'm in charge. And ultimately, all idols come back to that reality. So, these men, they've been pushed and pressured, but they say no. They're bound, thrown into the fire, and the men carry them into the fire and to the point that they're so, uh, the king is so angry that he, he turns to heat up more, and, and the men who are carrying it also die, but these men are thrown and bound. Now, if this was a TV series, this is when the uh, ad break comes on, and you get really frustrated. Now, I'm not sure, is the microphone going off, guys? Are you right? Okay, okay, it's just me. That's my identity. There you go. Uh, so, oh, thanks, thanks. So, so the, the ad break goes on, the TV commercial comes back on, and here it is, the king, about to watch the show of these men getting burned. And what does he see? He thought he threw in three, all of a sudden he sees four, unbound, walking around. Now, I wish, if it was possible, to have a record of what was the conversation inside the fire. Because the, um, the trickster in me can just imagine all four of them hanging out. All right, is he looking? Yeah, all right, let's walk around. And everyone's, you know, stressing, what was that? But this guy can't believe it. He thought he threw in three guys. There's this fourth person looks like, well, looks sort of human, but not really. Looks like a son of God or sons of God, depending on your translation. But King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know who Jesus was. And uh, he probably is thinking more of a deity, like an angel or a God-like figure. But the point is, it's not a human. And that's what's sticking out to him. And King Nebuchadnezzar can't figure it out. And he calls them, runs to it, calls them out, and he checks them over to see if they're burnt. A few years ago, I was hanging out with my mates and we went camping and it was in a caravan uh, park and I, I went into the caravan and like most things in a caravan stove, they're not always the best. And I'm sitting there and I'm trying to light this thing. I'm not the most camping kind of person if you go and ask anyone. Now I'm trying to light this thing and what does a guy do? Light, light, gas, gas, light, light, you know, fire, fire. Yep, somehow this is going to work. And at some point, <laughs> that's why I have brown skin, but... Sorry, I had to go there at some point. Uh, if you're listening in, you won't get it. You can, you can come to our church. But what, what happened was the, the, the flame comes, I get singed, right? So I get singed, there's, and I have no idea. I'm like, and I step back and I'm thinking, oh, okay. Okay, I think I'm good. All right, everything's, no one knows, it's fine. So I walk out down the stairs. Now look, and my mates are sitting there and they look at me and they're like, what happened to your eyebrows? Singed gone a little bit of hair gone and then there's a smell burnt hair smell not nice Nebuchadnezzar can't find anything wrong with them nothing is wrong with them that is remarkable and in the most remarkable statement comes out of if you want to use our day and language a non-christian king who does not worship God he said blessed be the God of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego in verse 28 who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speak anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb to limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. 
Then king, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the province of Babylon. That is amazing. And if it's in 2015, it's very easy for us to gloss over the story and go, oh, that's a great story. Friends, to stand out against the crowd, to stand against the tide, uh, will not necessarily always go good for you. But these men were so focused on their worship of God that their hearts were united with it and they were willing to trust God whatever may come. Whether that meant physically rescuing them or whether if they died and living in eternity with their God. So God rescues Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these men stand out. You know, you and me are going to be shunned. We're going to be mocked. Our friends are going to unfriend us on Facebook or not follow us on Twitter when we stand standing for the things of God. That is the reality. But we do know this. Another prophet by the name of Isaiah, when Israel were exiles, says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. As Jewish men, they, it's almost like they sort of resonate in their hearts a wonder in that idea that God is with them in the fire, walking with them. And they're rested in that. And in verse 29, you have this amazing statement from the king. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. See? For that king, this is quite abnormal because in that nation, in those people, they would have worshipped gods and deities of different areas and, and things. If, if a god came down, it was either to create mischief or to create war. And here is this God who comes and rescues them. The God who comes from his throne and rescues them. And friends, this side of the cross, we too have a great God, a great saviour. I believe this is pointing to Jesus himself, that God himself came into that fire. He's our Savior who is no like any other God, who doesn't just sit back. He's involved in our lives, in our everyday lives, our trials, our fires. He's the one who gives us that grace, that strength, and empowers us to stand for him. And Jesus himself showed that reality that he would not bow to anything. In Matthew chapter 4, when, when uh, um, the devil is tempting Jesus, Jesus turns around and he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him and only shall you serve. Jesus knew what this meant. Jesus lived that out on our behalf and your behalf. There's no other God. You know what? There will be no other God. There is no other God like Jesus. There will be no other God, anyone like him, who comes into this world to rescue us, like he did on the cross. Jesus is the only one, and he's the one who lights that all up for us. And in light of that, we're called to live. We're called to live not just lives to settle down and, and relax, but to live lives countercultural. Countercultural. Not in an arrogant, prideful way but in a humble way, pointing to Jesus. And he's the one who empowers us through his Holy Spirit to do that, to be people in those moments. So, in light of these truths, I pray, I ask some questions.
One, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because I can tell you a lot of moral things on how to be a good person, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's pointless. You need to begin there. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? If you don't, can I encourage you? Maybe the person who bought you this morning, maybe someone here you know, ask them, well, what does it mean to explore this Jesus and what does it mean to have a relationship with him? Two, what's creeped into your life that has become more about worshipping that, whether if it's a person, a thing, job, security, what is it? Is that now replacing God and His rightful place in your heart? What is that? Thirdly, friends, uh, just as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were in a public space. And as Australians, we're not very good at um, celebrating Christians who are in the public space. We tend to sort of bag them out or pull them down. It's a whole tall poppy thing. But we should actually pray for them. They're in a tough situation. Politicians, yep. But I think we should also be praying for those Christians who are in the secular world, particularly in the art arena. Christians who are AFL players, we should be praying for them. And I'm, I'm praying that the Lord would raise up amazing men and women who are going to be working in the secular place as a light for Christ. So we need to be praying for that. And finally, you always hear me say this, preach the gospel to yourself. The reason why I say that to you is unless you step back, unless you're reminded of the gospel of grace in your life, one default mode will for you to become legalistic and think that's what saves you, or two, you will just think you can do everything on your own. But the gospel of Christ reminds you you need Jesus, even after you have him as your Lord and Savior for however long. We're going to invite the team to come up and lead us in the last song.